Welcome to Pipeline Conversations, a machine learning podcast by ZenML. This week, we dive into the abstractions that we're all trying to layer on top of the core ML processes and workflows. I spoke with Phil Howes, co-founder and chief scientist at Base10. Base10 is a platform that allows data scientists to go from an initial model to an MVP web app quickly. We got into some of the big challenges he had working to build out the platform, as well as the core issue of iteration speed that motivates why they're building Base10. Phil has experienced quite a few of the industry's end-to-end patterns in the years that he's been working on machine learning, and it was great to have that context inform the conversation as well. As always, show notes are available at podcast.zenml.io, and if you have any suggestions for future guests or even would like to nominate yourself, drop me a line at podcast.zenml.io. Without further ado, here's the show. So my name is uh, Phil House. I'm the co-founder and uh, chief scientist at a, a machine learning company called Base10. Um, originally from academia, I I guess I'm kind of like this like recovering academic. I made I made this uh, transition into from mathematics into the sort of startup land, um, primarily. Uh, beginning as a machine learning engineer and sort of like uh, like what I would call a full stack machine learning engineer, where basically I'm doing everything from uh, data pipelines, training and deploying models, building like downstream applications that like are sitting in front of users or internal operations teams or that kind of thing. Um, I I moved to San Francisco about t- ten years ago, sort of on a whim. Um, and uh, I, I kind of immediately fell, fell in love with the place. Um, I thought there was like just so much opportunity here. Um, I don't know, it just felt, it felt right. Um, yeah, I was doing this, this uh, full stack machine learning engineering. Um, and uh, after, after some time, I actually started my first company with, with, a, with my uh, uh, old, old friend called Tuan. Um, and basically, what we're trying to do was like some greenfield kind of verticalized machine learning um, product, and yeah, that was the first startup. And I guess uh, we failed <laughs> a lot, um, but we learned a lot, you know. And uh, and I think we we're fortunate enough to sort of have made some pretty good progress. And um, and and to that end, we were we were acquired by another larger company in the space. Um, but immediately just, you know, entrepreneur, like scratching it, like those itches. And, and we, we immediately started working on, on something else, which eventually became base 10. Um, you know, we were thinking about other opportunities in the machine learning space and we kind of got obsessed with this idea of kind of like last mile for machine learning. So like, you know, lots of, uh, data scientists, ML engineers, like, you know, they're, they're training their models and then it's kind of like, okay, well, you know, I want to see this thing in production. I want to get this thing out of my Jupyter notebook and into the hands of users or like the internal team that's going to be using it. And um, that kind of obsession around around solving that problem is is kind of like where we ended up kind of formulating some some hypotheses around around what kind of tooling would need to exist there. And certainly, like it it combines a, a sort of spectrum of so like ML ops and application building. Um, and we started base ten, and basically uh, we've been we've been running we've been running this company for about two years now, um, building building relative in relative stealth. Um, we ha- had had small number of uh, customers that we were sort of like uh, build, building pilots with, and uh, growing the team. And we launched a few months ago um, uh, publicly, and, and things have been going pretty great since. Getting a lot of user feedback, like you know. Doing the whole, doing the whole gamut of startup things now, yeah. So you, in your previous kind of life, you must have encountered, I guess, a lot of the problems that your current users are like have to deal with, or you, you at least you're 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 familiar with them. I was wondering maybe you could just talk a little bit about that kind of. Um, I don't know whether you want to call it like old generation <laughs> of full stack ML engineering. Like, what what does that look yeah. like? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, 
I, th I think the, so I think ML engineering might, might not have really been a, a commonly used term maybe like 10, 15 years ago. And, and like data science, even data scientists, I think DJ Patel was, was originally started talking about data science. Like, well, I'm, I'm not quite sure, but, but certainly it's, it's, it's a term, it's a term that's kind of like evolved over time. And, and initially data scientists, uh, and to this day, data scientists is a very broadly, uh, defined term that can sort of like encompass all sorts of things from, from doing like analytics to training models to, to sort of like building machine learning systems. Um, and, you know, in my naivety, I thought like, okay, well, to be a good data scientist, I need to do all of those things. Um, and so, and so I, I sort of like took it upon myself to, to sort of do, do a lot of learning and, and sort of becoming, I guess, sort of jack of all trades, master of none kind of thing in the machine learning world. And, um, and that sort of like, uh, you know, as, as I said, before, like this full stack machine learning engineering that, that kind of encompasses everything from, from sort of training, uh, sort of data ingestion, ETL, uh, training, deployment, um, building applications. And, and I think the realization is that like that, that sort of like set of skills is actually very rare and people are much more specialized, right? And so the, the people that we generally spend the most time talking to, like are just sitting uh, you know, they're, they're doing a lot of like model building and they're talking to domain experts and, you know, the, the sort of like artifact of like all their efforts is like a machine learning model. And they're like, Hey, I have this model and I want to use it in production. And it's kind of like, okay, what are all the different systems that need to exist to make that thing happen? And it turns out that like, that is in general, a very difficult problem to solve. And, you know, it's very domain specific and there's all sorts of different requirements. And like, the thing is like data scientists are not infrastructure engineers. They're not product engineers. Um, in many cases, they're not particularly good data en engineers. Um, they're, they're people that have a very specialized um, set of skills and, uh, <laughs> And you know, to ask them to to be to be more than that, I think is just like a, a suboptimal use of their time. Uh, and so, a lot of our customers come to us and, and say, like, "Hey, help us get this these these models that we're building into the hands of like let let's, let let us unlock the value that's kind of like inherent in these models." Like, you know, um, a lot of the people we talk to are like, you know, models are a means to an end, right? They're, they're, they're about getting, they're about extracting some value that, uh, kind of is inherent in data. And usually that, that value is in terms of like some business process. And so, uh, I think data scientists and domain experts are like pretty good at figuring out how do I translate this business problem into a data problem? And data scientists are very good at translating data problems into data solutions. And I think there's kind of this like missing piece where lots of, um, lots what well, that's gaining a, a lot more attention, which is just kind of like, okay, how do I translate my data solution into a business solution? Um, and that's kind of where, where we sit. Um, and where I think, you know, companies like ZenML sit to some degree, you also support other parts of, um, other parts of that process. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of curious, like what your how, how you see, um, I guess the the way that 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 um, these tools and uh, and I guess in general these processes are kind of marketed or the pressures that exist for for data scientists, because on the one hand. You know, many data scientists obviously they want to be useful. They want to provide value and so on, and um, in in whatever way that, that that is possible for for a team. And there are lots of tools now, whether it's Streamlit or Base Ten or or whatever, that you know do allow people to get kind of some kind of MVP or like that data solution in a business context out there into the world. But I do also kind of see or detect. Um, there's almost a kind of uh, 
like a you're not complete as a human as a data scientist like the completion of a data scientist is an ml engineer or the completion of a data scientist is someone who can do the ops and the infra as well um do, do you also see that kind of pressure yeah um, I, I i see that press pressure but i i kind of feel as though like you know you're asking too much um like specialization exists for a reason right like you know you want people to be specialized because um they're just going to be much more effective of their job and it's like really about picking your battles right um it's a very different skill set and a different sort of like mind frame that you operate under when you're doing sort of like the like you know real data science which is kind of like building hypotheses around um a, a process and you know finding the right data and the right then doing feature engineering or like model architecting and training those models um and you know training models is some somewhat of a commoditized thing right now like there are just so many good frameworks and and sort of uh tools to sort of like assist you in in that regard uh that's kind of like one skill set and then there's another skill set which is very much kind of like pretty close to sort of like traditional infrastructure engineering um like machine learning ops is it's really like a set of engineering uh practices that are pretty disjoint from what what a typical data scientist should do and i and i like i understand that there's like this pressure for for data scientists to kind of do everything and i think like this is something of like an unfortunate consequence of the fact that data scientists kind of encapsulate so many different uh meanings um and so and so like okay well like you're a data scientist so you should be able to do this 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 well no i'm a data scientist and and like you know what we really just need is like more specific terminology for like where is the delegation of responsibility across like all the different this is a uh, a data scientist like the title data scientist could, can encapsulate and um and so it's kind of like i think it's i think it's a it's a it's an unfortunate sort of like amount of pressure i think it's 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 something that's that's changing as people become sort of more aware of like how there are like pretty different um sort of skill sets and responsibilities for like the different parts of like the machine learning value chain like you know certainly um uh yeah yeah uh but but you know coming back to your point um about sort of like you know or should a data scientist um be able to build applications um should they like the 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 applications kind of are particularly useful because the at the end of the day like the 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 typical data science uh sort of project uh journey looks very like waterfally right it's kind of like hey like define the problem do the do like some exploratory analysis train a model like give it to some sort of like a uh, ml ops engineer to sort of like turn into some api put it in front of like uh some sort of like product so that so that the sort of like downstream users can kind of start to get a sense of like how this thing is going to work in their workflows like machine learning gets very frequently used internally as well as externally uh and then sort of like get feedback and and so like you know all of these things that just like require sort of like throwing the problem over the wall right and so i think you know there's this like great opportunity for for like hey okay can can tools like base 10 and and streamlet or or hex or or sort of like other sort of like general purpose um kind kind of like uh, uh abstract away some of these some of these uh more more sort of difficult downstream problems from model training kinds of tools uh is there an opportunity for them to come in and say like, hey like let's let's leapfrog all of that uh latency in sort of getting feedback and allow you with like very like without really having to learn anything new like you don't need to learn about kubernetes you don't need to learn about like how how to do containerization you don't need to learn about scaling apis you don't need to learn about how to how to build a react app like you know like some front end um 
you can just kind of like pull these different components together and immediately put it in front of like the stakeholder and start getting feedback. Um, and like, you know, I've, I've seen this being, being used in, in sort of like all sorts of, all sorts of situations. Like, you know, um, quite often the data scientist wants to put something, uh, in, in front of stakeholders to, to get feedback on, on like, Hey, does this like solve the problem? Is it well-defined? Um, uh, you know, people building everything from sort of like labeling tools, all these different sorts of like human in the loop workflows. And like, it starts that iteration uh, process, uh, which I think is like key thing to sort of like, you know, the, the sooner you can start creating feedback loops, like the, the faster you can start optimizing like what, what it is that you're trying to solve. Um. So maybe it's worth going through just like a, a kind of a, an ideal world use case. What are the, what are the kinds of things that people are are building, or what would be the the kind of your perfect fit uh, in terms of what what you think you know some someone would would build with, or somewhere someone could get value from Base Ten. So Base Ten is is really about sort of like getting zero to one as 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 quickly as possible, right? Um, you know, where we're kind of a deployment tool, where we're an application builder, and we're sort of there to sort of like make it really easy to build like full stack ML products. Um, so that like so very quickly, like you know, an example of, of that is like okay, I have I have some model that is doing some uh, let's say let's say it's uh, scoring, it's doing content moderation. Okay, I I have a, a an operation operations team that's doing content moderation, and I want to basically try and like super give them superpowers to do like only be only be looking at at uh, at the, the the content which is most relevant for, for them to to to, mo to moderate. And so, I as a data scientist, I'll have a, a machine learning model that I've trained on on you know the, these operations team ha has existed. Uh, they're basically uh, like looking at flagged content and they're essentially generating uh, like training data for, for a model. And so I built, built some um, <coughs> uh, machine learning model on, on this, uh, on, on this label data. And, and, you know, you know, based on, we have this uh, Python uh, open source uh, Python uh, package uh, that basically takes, takes, Model like you know models from all the different like common frameworks, uh, Scikit-Learn, PyTorch, TensorFlow, XGBoost, all these ones, uh, and very quickly allows you to sort of like wrap that model in all the boilerplate to turn it into an API. Okay, so an API is the the beginning of a of an application, and so with that, uh, so with like one line of code, we go hey, based on deploy, you know, model thing, and all of a sudden like your model is now being served as an API in in, in base ten. Um, and, um, and then what's, what's like other parts of, of this application that, ne that need to be built? Okay. So like we have this, we have this kind of like serverless, like workflow pipeline orchestration, uh, tool that you can sort of like write like all this business logic. So as new data comes in, I can do some sort of like ET ETL on that thing, run it through my model get some prediction and, and then like based off that prediction I want to do some business logic around hey do I need to triage this can I put it in some backlog do, or is it like you know perfectly fine and and so uh, so that's kind of like the the, the back end side of, of things and then on the you can build these um, you, you know with like this what you see is what you get kind of like UI builder uh, you can start to build out user interfaces um, and those user interfaces are, are the things that are being consumed by like your downstream users. So you can have like some sort of like, kind of like you know list of, of all the different um, cases that need to be reviewed, and you can look at what you know what did the model say. Here's like the data, um, and uh, and then like you know the human operator can sort of uh, create, uh, sorry, um, uh, perform like various actions on that data, and you know uh, we can you know we tie back into, uh, you know, all your different data stores uh, so that, you know, as as you continue to use this application, you're also generating more more training, more labeled training data. And so what what are the, um, 
obviously you're concealing a lot of complexity away from the user there like you're doing a lot on on the base 10 end like what what are the hard pieces of this that you've really kind of had to struggle with to to make it work yeah i mean certainly i think like uh i mean there's there's kind of like the the technical challenges and then there's product challenges right and so so like at a product sense, it's, 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 you know, universal. It's about figuring out what is like the right abstractions and, and, and sort of hooks that so, so that like the user feels as though like there's this like seamless transition from, hey, I'm doing things locally to like, hey, now I'm running in the cloud and, and being able to sort of like feel like really good about, about the experience. And then, th- I mean, that's always hard to, f- to figure out. And then, and then from the, uh, from the technical standpoint, oh boy. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, what we're trying to do is 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 basically allow you know thousands, tens of thousands of machine learning models to to run. Um, basically, you know, we we are orchestrating like all the infrastructure for for basically all the uh, all the different users, and we're trying to do it in such a way that like all of these abstractions exist, so that you don't have to do any of the hard stuff. So basically, we're 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 being delegated the responsibility of taking everybody else's um, problems away, uh, you know, and that manifests in sort of like, oh, how do you manage, like, how do you manage these huge number of resources at scale? Um, yeah, that <laughs> that's the stuff that keeps how me do you do that? <laughs> Well, okay, so, I mean, like, you know, obviously, just like most companies, like we stand on the shoulders of giants in terms of like, there's just so much, so much good, uh, open source, uh, software out, out there. You know, we, we use very heavy, very heavily use, um, things that have already built very good abstractions. Kubernetes, uh, provides like a very good way for us to sort of like define workloads and that whole ecosystem is just full of things that sort of like plug in really well so like you know if we want to do monitoring uh you know there's all sorts of tooling out there for monitoring like prometheus like logging grafana uh, loki um uh in terms of standing up serverless um inference like we have you know k native is is like a, a good low level set of abstractions for like building out serverless tools um so we we basically we basically orchestrate all of our uh workloads by sort of like combining sort of like you know best in class um you know and combining and sort of like extending you know best best in class kind of like open source open source tools um yeah and then i guess uh, i guess one other one other like really um challenging challenging thing would be um you know you want you want the experience to be sort of like as magical as possible right so so there's there's always this like tension between sort of like creating really uh magical experiences and providing enough uh sort of flexibility to to cover all the use cases because like magical experiences is like happy path right and and the thing is in the real world there's there's a lot of people traveling on the unhappy path, you know. So so how do we how do we make sure that things are sort of open and flexible enough to to enable like all of the different use cases, uh, you know, for the ninety for the ninety percent of of people who are doing sort of like pretty standard things, like it's all just sort of like boom boom boom, done done done, like uh, you've got your application up and running. Um, but also being able to support people that have like more complex requirements. And that so much is is abstracted away somehow from the user. I'm kind of curious how you handle um, perhaps the unhappy path. Like, what happens when when things fail? Because I, when I think of magical experiences, I don't necessarily think of the five line trainer model. I think of Something went wrong, but someone took time to write the perfect error message, which will allow me to figure <laughs> or, or like yeah. it's preserved perfectly in the logs somewhere. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I think like observability is is a huge thing, right? Um, you, you really hit the nail on the head there. Like, is um, people are going to run into issues, and and being able to sort of like trace back, hey, how 
how do I how do I take how do I take this this uh, this error message and sort of trace it back to to my problem and sort of like root cause it and understand like how do how do I triage it um, and giving people kind of like the the surgical tools to sort of like cut through our abstractions and get down to the actual nitty gritty right and so I can kind of give an example here around so we have this we have this uh, uh, sort of containerization like model containerization package that that we that we've built it's a uh, uh, called called trust it's um it's an open source package um and and it's kind of like this it's this layered abstraction so in in the happy path um you have this like one one line kind of command which will take like hey i've trained my model got my pytorch model that's in memory and i want to basically uh serialize that model wrap it in uh some boilerplate kind of like API 7 code, like, you know, hey, like I, I'm a data scientist. I'm not like a, a, um, an uh, engineer that like really thinks about like concurrency and all the other considerations. I want someone else to write the server for me. Um, and so, so happy path, like you just get all that boil, boilerplate, but, uh, in the sort of slightly unhappy, uh, slightly unhappy path, there's kind of like, hey, there is this config file that you can. Um, so, so the the trust that gets generated, uh, which is like the, our, our name for kind of like this sort of like self-contained um, uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, scaffold. Scaffold. Um, uh, the trust. The trust is kind of like one layer of abstraction. So, it, so it gives you it gives you some sort of like knobs to turn. Um, and allows you to sort of like edit some of the some of the code, and then there's like a deeper abstraction, which is basically, hey, template out everything down to sort of like, hey, what's going to be in my Docker container? And when you're down at that level, you can sort of start to move things around very like carefully. You can start playing with the Docker file, like, hey, I need like this particular version of this thing because like I have this weird requirement, and like there's all these like version conflicts, and I need to be able to get down to that level, and so and so, yeah. Magical experience is is kind of like right up the top, and and then you sort of like have these ways to sort of like drill deeper and deeper and deeper until you sort of like get down to like, hey, this is what's like running on the metal. So when you when you're working on building, um, uh, I guess some kind of abstraction or some kind of high, higher higher layer on top of other things, you. Yeah, it's it's normal or or maybe expected that you would kind of um, encode in or embody like the best practices of that particular domain or whatever you're trying to do. I'm kind of curious what like what your take on best practices for for this kind of thing, uh, yeah, are. Yeah, um, I mean. I, I guess best practices best practices in in ML I kind of feel as though like there's there is kind of like oxymoron at the moment um it's still the wild west you know like everybody like I mean you could just have to look at the space and look at how how many tools are, are in the space popping up I mean like you know you and I work in in this in this space and and everybody has um, decided, that there are different types of abstractions that that should be built, and so like, you know, this is uh, obviously an, like going going to be opinionated, um, <clears throat> but um, I, I think I think you know what, best practices. I think what we can do is like maybe learn from some of the other engineering disciplines, like to the extent that we can. Um, obviously, obviously building, um, and serving machine learning applications, it's a pretty different paradigm. Like, uh, uh, traditional engineering is very deterministic. I, I write this code. It does exactly this machine learning, very different paradigm. You're, you're thinking about things probabilistically. And so, and so the, the kinds of abstractions that end up getting, getting built and the kinds of, uh, the kinds of tools that are needed to support that kind, kind of thing, um, are very uh, are somewhat different, but there is some overlap, you know. And so, for example, okay, let's 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 think about sort of like so serving models. Um, uh, model model uh, traffic. Okay, let's talk about online online. 
I mean, like there's just so many places we can go here. Um, like online serving of, of models is is kind of interesting in the sense that uh, the traffic patterns for for model predictions is very different to sort of traditional web traffic. And so you have to be able to deal with like big spikes in traffic, uh, lots of sort of like uh, 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 times of like pretty low traffic or even no traffic. Um, and so like what, what are some good abstractions that should be built around that type of traffic? Um, so certainly, okay, hey, you know, if we want to deal with spikes, we should be able to do like scaling really well. Or you know, we should be thinking about, okay, well, um, you know, if, if not scaling, um, so, so in my world, we like to think of, we like to think in, in terms of traffic, we like to think, okay, scaling and queuing. Okay. So, so, so basically all, all, all my, uh, I, my, my, my model, my model service should be able to s sort of both, uh, respond to increases in traffic relatively rapidly and um, and also be able to handle sort of more than what it's currently provisioned to handle. And the way that you do that is by introducing like queues. Um, and so so the abstractions that that I, I have I have built or, or, or we have built um, is definitely like you know we have this this way of sort of like buffering the the traffic uh, and and in that buffer sort of like reading reading off that buffer, be like, how big is that getting? And if that buffer is getting too big, let's start spinning out more instances. And like, you know, this is something like, is this a data science? Is this the domain of a data scientist? Certainly not, right? And, uh, <clears throat> but but the idea is that like, you know, we build these abstractions. Like, you uh, like the, these best practices around around sort of like serving models is is certainly um, something that I think. <laughs> No data scientist should really be be thinking about, and like I'm very happy to sort of like see like the proliferation of tools um, that's kind of like putting their own take on on the different um, on on different things. Um, uh, other abstractions. Um, I mean, all, all along the way, I think I think um, I think there are some there are some really good like just like quickly like some really good. Um, other other tooling that's like built built out built out good abstractions like DVC DVC is great like people understand version control um, so hey like let's do let's do Git for data like that's that's a that's a well established extraction just kind of like mapped to a new to our domain um, yeah I I, don't, <laughs> I I I I can't really think of of too too many others I mean like you know, there, there's, there's, there's lots of pipeline tools like, like you know, you know, pipelines are kind of like the bread and butter for sort of like orchestrating machine learning. That I think that there are like lots of really good abstractions around sort of like meeting, um, meeting, meeting the practitioners kind of like where they operate, like as in like building, building very Pythonic libraries like decorators. I think Zenit ML is one of these tools that is like, hey. Let's try and um, let's try and be sort of somewhat agnostic to to the different implementations. Um, and so I think you know <laughs> one one maybe motivating abstraction for machine learning is just like don't be like you can kind of hedge against uh, opinionated abstractions. Um, yeah. Do you, do you get the sense? I mean. There are lots of different um, different kinds of uh, ML out in the world. Some of it working, quote unquote. Some of it not. Some of it maybe working for a few weeks, but maybe not in the long term or whatever. Um, yeah, like does can I guess that just the the, the di diversity of all of these kinds of things and the diversity of the different domains and the use cases that people are are trying and everyone's continually pushing the boundary all the time. Like, you know, is there necessarily some like grand abstraction to to come uh, or some uh, kind of yeah wider unified understanding of all of these things or or will just the fact that it's so so varied in, in in terms of how it's how it's done means that we'll we'll kind of exist in this 
this world for a while. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, to, to, to our point earlier about, about data scientists, uh, the, the, the term data science sort of like referring to so many different things, I think this is also true of just like the space in general. Like there, there is such a diversity of, of problems and requirements that there's going to, there's going to I, like the grand unified tool. I, I'm not quite sure if it's gonna, going to exist. Uh, I kind of feel as though there is space, um, there's space for, for a set of tools that kind of map really well to sort of like, um, I guess there's kind of like, there's different requirements for in, in so many different dimensions, like in terms of, of, of data size, in terms of like the modality, in terms of the inference um, requirements. Uh, and it's really hard to sort of see how something's gonna sort of solve all of those problems. Um, and you know, this is this is kind of like what why like I get kind of excited when when people like so many people like uh, are very quick to sort of dismiss uh, machine learning companies and say, hey, well, like you know, how are you going to go up against Amazon and and Google and and all, all these things? And it's kind of like, well, that there's it's such a it's such a broad space, and like they they're they're sort of like they're not specialized really in anything they're trying to they're trying to be everything but by trying to be everything it's really hard for them to be anything um and certainly i think like where i've seen like the initial success in in ml ops and and sort of machine learning in, in general is when a tool is really good at sort of carving out their specific market and and understanding that and optimizing for that. Because at the end of the day, like um, really tight like feedback loops is kind of like what people like draw people into into products. And so it's really hard to sort of like f think about like, oh, how do I how do I build a product that just has like so many of those? And it's kind of like you, you end up getting this kind of like paralysis of choice as well, right? Uh, this is another problem in, in the in the ML world. It's just kind of like, hey, what what are the tools that I should be using for my for my set of problems? Um, it's it's really it's really non non trivial to sort of like find what's the right set of tools. Um, so in short, <laughs> no no to the question of the grand unified abstraction <laughs> layer or tool. So on the uh, I mean one. Um... I guess embodied best practice that at least from the outside I see in base 10 is kind of, um, uh, yeah, prioritizing this idea of like speed of speed of getting, getting through the entire, um, uh, the entire life cycle, at least, and at least until, you know, the point where you have something that's, that's out there invisible or something that's, that's usable. I was wondering maybe you could talk a little bit about um, this kind of speed of iteration or, or, or that that value, I guess, and you know the trade-offs that you see with it, um, the importance of it. Like, what, why, 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 why prioritize this? Mm. And maybe if I could just add one thing on on the end on the end of that, like, did, what happens once you've reached that point at the end? Does that change? Like, once you have your baseline model out in the world, like, does the does the importance of that change? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think, I think the 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 same the same lessons around sort of like building a a company is the same lessons around that we could you you could like learn around um building you know machine learning applications like the 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 quicker you get to putting your 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 product or your model into production the faster you're going to start getting feedback on that thing uh creating like the the sort of like optimization happens in a loop and the faster faster you operate that loop uh, the 
the faster you're going to be able to optimize most of the thing. And so like the, there are so many different parts to optimize, not just from the, like the model training, but sort of like what is the impact that the, the model is, is having? And like, you know, what are the hypotheses around the uh, problem that I'm solving that I'm I'm basically getting signal on by putting that thing into production and, and build, building and uh, building the, the the tool that's going to allow people to start to start giving feedback. Um, I think it's really easy to sort of like like one of the failure modes is is like iterating too much on sort of like a solution um, before uh, before it's like in the real in the real world. Um, Sorry, what was the what was the last uh, part? The the little add on you had. Oh, just like how does that change once? I guess once it reaches the world. But I guess you're saying it doesn't. You just keep on iterating. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think at the, at the end of the day, like you know, in, in the ML world, um, like distributions change, right? So so you, you know, for a long time, you can kind of. There's like you're you're extracting some value, and and the the sort of um, objective functions kind of changing or the data's changing. You can kind of follow the gradient, and like by by iterating on the, on that loop, um, until you can't right. So until like until you have to sort of like fundamentally change change something like something something um, like nonlinear has changed about the state of the world where we need to sort of like start again from from uh, scratch and sort of like uh, you, you need to be very careful around sort of like constantly sort of like temperature checking, I guess, like you don't want to be the frog that boils in water, right? Like, you know, this thing's working, it's getting better, it's getting better and better. But like, hey, is there something just like non-trivially different that we could be doing? Um, and so I, I think it's about like that, that's a separate feedback loop that's op operating at a much longer timescale. Um, and again, sort of, I feel as though I'm talking, <laughs> I'm talking, uh, metaphorically both about machine learning and about, um, <laughs> just startups in general. Actually, what, what you said kind of just reminded me or, or, or took me in the direction of a kind of a slight, slight tangent, just thinking about like education in this field, such as there is education in, in, in ML, um, mm -hmm. it, it feels like, um, from from what I know and from what I've heard people talk about it, like preparation for this world of iteration and so on, like this isn't really part of how this is taught at the moment. Um, uh, yeah, I'm kind of curious on your 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 experience of that. I mean, you came through academia and mathematics and so on. Um, yeah, was this something that you encountered as part of I don't know problem solving? Yeah, um, so. So I guess I'm. I mean, like, just to clarify, like, you, you know, are you are you talking about um, sort of the way that machine learning is, is kind of taught as a discipline, like uh, theory versus practice? Kind of, kind of, like the kinds of people who are coming into the workforce who are, you know, trained in this somehow, as yeah. coming out as, as as data scientists and so on. Like, to what extent is this? part of how they, how they think about things um are they thinking of the full end-to-end -end cycle mm. yeah i think um yeah i think it's a that's a really good point uh like machine learning i think i think is this kind of like romanticized thing where it's kind of like it's really like there's lots of like really sexy problems in machine learning today um you know large language models generative models like it's very, it's very sort of like seductive to sort of like fall into the trap of of thinking like, hey, this is a purely kind of like um, research type field, and and at the end of the day, like the majority of machine learning in terms of like the value that gets created by machine learning is around how do I how do I automate or or sort of augment some operational thing that's happening in like a business context. Um, and so I think, you know, a lot of people coming into machine learning, um, they're, they're incredibly intelligent people who have mastered a lot of theoretical s 
sort of skill sets around sort of like how do I, you know, they're, they're a combination of sort of like statistician, mathematician, problem solver, um, you know, with a smattering of sort of like engineering in there. And uh, I kind of feel as so though the, the, the ML engineers that kind of really stand out are the people that have uh, understood that machine learning is actually really a means to an end. And that that end is is creating value for for in in some way. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, personal projects, um, fun little toys, just just for you know, like the value is you know whatever it gets, delivers to yourself. But um, in 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 industry, it's it's very much sort of like understanding what is the connection between this this problem in the data domain to the problem in the business business domain. And I think the more that um, ML engineers and data scientists can can be thinking about how what, how to transition between that space, those two spaces, um, the more effective they are in, in in their jobs. And it's 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 something that I think is is it's something that you you kind of like learn on the job. I think and like in in a good workplace, like there should be like really good lines of sight between say, hey, what am I doing and how and how is it impacting the business. And if it's not, then I think you should advocate for for that to, to be the case. Um, the, the other thing that I would just say that, that sort of like sets apart um, uh, sort of like the good ML engineers from the great ML engineers is just sort of like having having the empathy for, for a bunch of engineering practices. Like, you know, you don't have to be the best engineer, but you should know like some of like the, like the tried and tested engineering abstractions um, so that, you know, you're not creating too much of a burden for the people that you sort of throw your model over the wall to, if that's the case in your, in your organization. And, and just in terms of like building, um, building good process in, in, uh, machine learning sort of life cycle, I think like there's a lot to be learned from, from engineering, like as a discipline, it's, it's getting pretty old and, and there are very well established best, best practices and, and ML engineers generally aren't CS majors. I mean, some. Well, I mean, certainly some of them are, but um, there, there's a lot to be there's a lot to be sort of like taken taken from those from those learnings. It's kind of if you are in the unfortunate position to be expected by your workplace to be the full stack unicorn, then you know try to to rely on some of those foundational fundamentals um, that yeah. will serve across whatever people might throw at you. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that there's like kind of a sort of inverse correlation between like an inverse relationship between sort of like company size and the amount that's expected from you. Like as the company grows, roles get more, more sort of like scoped down to like a very specific task. And, um, and, and like, you know, if you are somebody who wants to learn, maybe you want, like, you know, you should take that in consider into consideration when you're like, hey, if, I, if I'm if i at a small company, if I'm a startup, uh, I'm going to be wearing a lot of hats out of necessity and I'm going to learn a lot. Um, yeah. Um, I'm kind of curious. I, I, I often like to ask this as sometimes weird answers come out. But if, if, you, if there are any, like, tools or services or things that you um you've worked with in the however recent past that like you love working with um that yeah either get the abstraction perfectly mm. right or yeah i mean like m most of the tools i i think that i i really love are actually sort of like more on the engineering side like i love visual studio code like i am a convert mm -hmm. i converted like a year ago I would live my life in Visual Studio Code if I could. If what I could. did you convert from? Oh, just like a mix of Vim and um, and I would use uh, Sublime. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, like I, I use it for note taking. I use it for coding, testing. You know, it's my it's my IDE. If I could use it for email and Zoom, I would. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I think on the ML side, like honestly, I think the tools exist. I think it's it's just a matter of of um, yeah. It's it's really it's 
I mean, yeah, K, K Native. Um, I really like K Native. Uh, I mean, I love open source software. Uh, to to the best of my ability, I, I push uh, push out our, our company in that direction. Um, uh, I think they they've done they've done a lot. Um, they're sitting on the, you know uh, they're sitting on the shoulders of giants. Also, like you know, there's there's a lot of they're building abstractions on top of abstractions. You know, it's abstractions all the way down. I just yeah. really like the ones that they've they've built. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, so finally, we, we usually end with a couple of kind of more practical uh, questions. Um, firstly, what would kind of be a win, a quick win that someone could add to make their productionizing of models more robust? Mm, robustness. Um, Either technically or their behavior or... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think like, you know, to the earlier point, I think it's it's like the tools exist, like figure out what is the right set of tools um, for like the stage and the size of your team. Um, and, you know, with that sort of like pick your battles, right? Like, hey, do are we at the maturity level where we should be building this in-house versus um, picking a good tool off the shelf that's going to do a really good job for us? Um, like there is a cognitive burden, like, you know, in terms of robustness, like there's a cognitive burden of like adding more tools, and with with that, you're 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 losing uh, you know, your mind mind share um, to to really be thinking about like the problems that you really should be thinking about. Yeah, that's definitely definitely a ten tendency towards over complexity and over engineering and, and all of that in in this world. Yeah, and I'm guilty of it myself. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and secondly, what 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 is one's kind of bit of putting models into production and and that whole uh, world and life cycle that you feel isn't getting enough attention uh, by toolmakers in the MLOP space? Um, are there any big holes that you can see? Um, honestly, I, I think like you know I I. I think the ecosystem has enough tools. Um, I think it's really just like we're just like a few iterations away from something which is like stable. Like every, there, there is the right set of abstractions out there. I don't think something's missing. I think you know what what we have is like we got given a Lego set, uh, and maybe we have to pull it apart a little bit and then re, like re put put it together um, in the right way. I think. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think that there's anything missing. I think that we're just missing a few iteration cycles of of, of, of like the tools that really understand like, hey, what what are the what are the real problems, and how do we sort of like package and execute on our solutions to those problems in the right way, so that um, so that people don't feel like there's something missing. Very op optimistic way to end. I will. I will hold you. <laughs> we're just a, a few iterations away. Yeah, we're just. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, the. I mean, feedback loops. Let's try and make them fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much for for coming on, Phil. Um, uh, definitely was was very interested to learn about obviously what what you're building at Base Ten, but just you know your experience in general, having having worked on this stuff for a while. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this latest episode of Pipeline Conversations. If you enjoyed what you heard, please consider giving us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us get seen by more people. And of course, it's always nice to receive feedback. If you have suggestions for future guests, please send them over to podcast.zenml.io. Thanks. Until next time.